we take a human-centric design thinking approach to things. So when we look at looked at every single component of what would impact an individual when they had they were being impacted through this scenario, we went down the list and pushed ourselves on every single scenario. So to your to your example on Cobra for the US, that's one great example. Another one is you mentioned the laptops. Well, it's it's great to give laptops and we really wanted to do it, but it took a lot of work to figure out how do you remote wipe the laptops in a pandemic world remotely so that the employees can then actually make it a personal laptop. So every single thing, we just kept pushing ourselves um, on the operational front. That was Airbnb Global Head of People Operations, Q Hamarani, walking through some of the logistics and coordination that went into the layoffs that they experienced in the early days of the pandemic. From a global set of layoffs to an IPO, few companies and HR teams had quite the experience that Airbnb had in 2020. And so I'm excited to get into this conversation with Q and give you a look inside their people operations after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Redefining HR. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I am really excited about this show for a couple of reasons. One, I've been really uh, wanting to connect with Q, my guest, for a while now. Two, I want to open with a little gratitude to Q as well, because he is uh, he's actually a guinea pig in this episode. You may be listening to this episode, or you might be watching this episode. Uh, this is the final, the finale of season five of the Redefining HR podcast. And in season six, we're going video. We're going video and audio. And so this is kind of the pilot video episode to wrap up season five and take us into season six. So with that, it's a pilot. We'll see how this all goes. But Q, I appreciate you being game. So Q Hamarani is the uh, global head of people operations at Airbnb. And uh, we have a lot to cover. But Q, why don't you just start off with uh, a bit of an intro and background on you for the listeners and viewers. Yeah. Hey, Lars. First of all, thanks for having me here and always game to pilot anything. It's always fun to try it for the first time. Um, for everyone uh, listening, hi, uh, my name is Q. Um, uh, a little bit about me. I'm currently the global head of people ops at Airbnb and have been here for almost three years. Um, on, on In terms of my background, I've been really fortunate to work in a variety of GNA functions uh, outside of HR as well, including business functions across a variety of different industries, ranging from Big Four Consulting during my time at Deloitte to Fortune 500 firms like Aon, Jones Long LaSalle and General Electric to private equity backed firms like PPG Capital, hyper growth late stage firms such as Airbnb, and then also did a couple of my own ground up um, startups from, from scratch. Um, so really a wide um, kind of industry uh, perspective. Uh, from an academic perspective, um, I have an undergrad in electrical engineering, an MBA with the focus on strategy and innovation, and a variety of certifications across the board from people analytics at Wharton to executive coaching at the Berkeley Institute, 
to live sound engineering at the Chicago Music uh, Institute as well. And by now, uh, just to wrap up my background, as you can tell, I just love doing things I've not done. I love to continuously strive to learn and develop and grow myself and in turn, um, do the same for people in organizations to collectively um, just drive everyone to be their best. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple things in that background that you've done <laughs> that I can imagine could come in pretty handy in a, uh, a people ops role. But I wanna, you know, you didn't start your career in HR, you, you kind of moved <laughs> into HR. Walk me through that journey. Like, what was it about HR that, that pulled you out of that kind of early, more engineering-oriented uh, start? Yeah, so I think it was a combination of a few things. So I switched to HR midway through my career around a decade ago, and I primarily did that for a couple of reasons. One was, I think, just the curiosity of the people function. I always partnered with HR professionals um, in my own um, journey as well, but I wanted to be in the in the hot seat. I wanted to see what it was like to be an HR professional and really drive the wide impact and change that you can uh, do in that role. So one was just curiosity. I would not done it. I wanted to do it. The second piece, this is, you know, we're talking 2009-ish, 2010-ish. Um, I noticed a, a gap in the HR um, professional skill set, specifically around business acumen and tech savviness. Um, and this was at a time where tools like Workday and HRISs were coming down um, the HR side of the house versus just the IT side um, and business uh, strategic, um, I would say at that point, I think HR itself was going through an identity evolution to try and be more strategic from administrative, but not everyone necessarily understood the business. Um, so I, I just, you know, I got the right, uh, I got an opportunity from someone that took a bet on me and gave me my first HR role. Um, and the rest is just history. Um, and that's how I got into it. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that, uh, that, 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 requirement of business acumen. I think now as the field mm -hmm. of HR has evolved and, and people operations, um, it's become so much more sophisticated and it's so mm -hmm. much more directly connected to the business. So, you, you know, that's a part of why I think you see so many people in the discipline now mm -hmm. from outside of HR, you know, bringing different mm -hmm. expertise and perspectives and skill sets uh, in. And I think it's made, uh, it's made the field much better. And it's also helped us you know, remove some of the blind spots I think that we had as a function when we tended to be mm -hmm. very kind of insular uh, and people just kind of moved up from within the field. So that's, uh, yep. yeah, it's exciting to yep. see that. Um, you know, you, you have a role, uh, you, you have a not small job at a not small company. <laughs> um, and I'd love to get, you know, people operations is a term that uh, can mean 10 different things in 10 different companies. <laughs> so in terms of the scope at Airbnb, walk me and the listeners through the scope of your role. Like what are the things that roll up to you as global head of people operations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So you're right. It could mean a lot of things. And even at Airbnb, people operations has been a continuous evolution of my scope. So I'll go back to when I started. When I first started three years ago, um, you know, there was no dedicated people ops function at Airbnb. That does not mean no one did operational work. It actually meant everyone did a little bit of operational work in a non-standardized, inefficient way and in turn uh, burnt themselves out to some extent. Um, but the mandate was really form a, a collective people operational function and a group from ground up, uh, prepare for massive hyper growth. So when I joined in mid 2018, we just hired a couple hundred recruiters and we were going to double in size in the next 12 months from about 3000 employees to 6000 employees. Um, so prepare for hyper growth. And while preparing for hyper growth, make sure that we do not sacrifice our, our 
you would say our secret sauce, uh, which is the high level of employee experience in programs like onboarding and throughout the employee life cycle. So grow, uh, you know, build a function from ground up, uh, find the right resources, um, build it through hyper growth, prepare for that hyper growth and do not sacrifice any uh, experiential components. And hey, by the way, get us IPO ready while you do that as well. Yeah. So those were my kind of three first year kind of mandates over the years, just like you, you pointed out people have a uh, people ops is kind of a catch all, which is what I love um, in, 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 in a lot of ways. And we've continuous continued to evolve. So now we manage as of almost two years ago, um, we manage all the global contingent workforce programs, meaning all our freelancers, all our contractors, all our consultants, and how do we integrate them to think of them as a total workforce. Um, it's no longer you know, contingent workers and employees. We're all humans. We all should belong. We all should have kind of think of it holistically. Um, we do things like defining our self-service strategy and roadmap for our employees, manage various global EX programs as they get rolled out to ensure that they are successfully um, delivered and, and follow through. And then, you know, 2020 was a year where, you know, a lot of things came down, all HR professionals and all organizations where there was no playbook and there was no place. So for example, in 2020, it was leading our pandemic responses for coronavirus. How do we actually make sure employees have the right information? How do we communicate with them? Um, it went right into the very unfortunate um, situation that we had to experience as a business that led to our global layoffs. Um, it then turned into temporary relocation and work from home, and now the future of work. So it's you know you are if we talk in six months, I'll probably tell you a more a few more things that kept keep getting added. Um, but that's the beauty of people ops. Um, that's what I love doing at Airbnb, both from the context of getting the opportunity to keep doing more um, and just growing with the business in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I mean, you know, talk about a, a pendulum for you and the team <laughs> in 2020. I mean, going from the layoffs to an IPO um, and, and everything oh, in between right. those two kind of massive events. Um, I do want to talk about the layoffs a, a little bit uh, mm -hmm. because I think that, yep. uh, you know, when, when that happened, uh, it was interesting. I, I was, I was actually in the process of writing redefining HR, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when that happened, I was writing a chapter on uh, operationalizing culture and values. Uh, and mm -hmm. I used the example of, uh, you know, your layoff and more specifically even Brian Chesky's uh, open letter uh, about the layoffs as mm -hmm. you know, just a, a, a case study in living your values and kind of uh, ethical leadership through that period. So for those of you that are listening that maybe are, you know didn't kind of read up on that or not familiar with that, you know, when a lot of organizations obviously were hit pretty hard by the pandemic, Airbnb certainly mm -hmm. uh, one of them as kind of travel and everything kind of locked down, especially initially. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they had a layoff, but when they did it, the, you know, having a layoff during a pandemic was not uh, unusual. I think a lot of organizations had some some of that experience, but I think what they, the way they approached it, uh, it the, the level of, um, from the outside at least, the level of thought and detail and and respect that went into the process. So, you know, some of the things that they did, they, they allowed employees, to, uh, all employees who were impacted to keep their laptops. Um, they uh, kind of redeployed their entire recruiting team to be more of an outplacement agency, not just typical outplacement, like, hey, we'll help you write your resume, but like really hitting up their networks to try to help these employees land and other organizations. They created a, a profile, kind of an opt-in profile document where people could, you know, load their resumes and the kind of roles they're into. Uh, for U.S. employees, they extended their COBRA benefits uh, a year out, which, you know, for U.S. listeners know that's a big deal. That's not a, a insignificant cost. And so, you know, again, 
from the outside looking in, it seemed just like a, a, a model of how to go through what is a difficult uh, experience for an organization and, and absolutely for the employees impacted uh, in a very humane and, and, and thoughtful way. So take us behind the curtain a little bit. Like what was going on behind the scenes? How are you organizing that? How are you architecting that? Uh, you know, what, what went into building that level of, of kind of thought in that process? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you covered a lot of the key points. I'd, I'd just start off by saying it was definitely the most stressful time of my career, but also one of the most rewarding parts of my career in hindsight, once we kind of got through the execution, um, you know, recognizing that it was a horrible circumstance in, in totality, just to having to do it in the first place. Um, but I think for us, it was, you know, everything you mentioned was, was you know, we, we take a human-centric design thinking approach to things. So when we look at, looked at every single component of what would impact an individual when they, had, they were being impacted through this scenario, we went down the list and pushed ourselves on every single scenario. So to your, to your example on Cobra for the U.S., that's one great example. Another one is you mentioned the laptops. Well, it's it's great to give laptops and we really wanted to do it, but it took a lot of work to figure out how do you remote wipe the laptops in a pandemic world remotely so that the employees can then actually make it a personal laptop. So every single thing, we just kept pushing ourselves um, on the operational front. I mean, those that those one month leading up to it, like I barely slept. I, I tried to do as much as creative solutioning because at the end of the day, we do believe in personalizing everything we do. Um, so we didn't want to send like one summary of all these benefits like you outlined to everyone that was impacted. We wanted to say if Q is impacted, Q is getting X, Y, Z specific to Q's um, situation. And the way we ended up doing it, just like looking back was, you know, we ended up just thinking outside the box. How do we push ourselves? So my team learned how to do mail merge in DocuSign. We would have never really had to do something like that, right? Um, we learned, we, I, you know, in quote unquote, since we're in video too, or for folks who are listening in, we quote unquote tricked Workday um, and used it in a way that it's not necessarily was built to do. For example, for folks listening, um, Workday, Workday, you know, you have your annual merit planning process where it customizes your merit letter for each individual. We almost tricked that engine to, to make customized summaries for each individual based on what they were getting at the time of their layoff globally, right? And this was executed within 10 minutes. Everyone in the world got their customized summary. And that, you know, so I think we, we pushed ourselves. It all starts with great leadership. So to your point on the open letter, you know, Brian's transparency and honesty and, and really being open to why we're doing this and sharing the why and building that trust um, helped folks like myself able to uh, execute on it because often if you don't have trust up front or you don't understand the why the how doesn't necessarily jive well so it was tough um i'm you know in hindsight it's I, I talked about it being a bit rewarding and the only reason for that is i do think we've changed the landscape of how folks are looking at layoffs you know i've i've met with numerous folks who are using that open letter as a starting playbook Right. Not every company can can meet every dimension and it may not be relevant, but they're using that as a playbook to see how can we do it. So I think just pushing ourselves, not saying this, it, this is unforeseen circumstances. We're in a health pandemic, you know, so giving three months of Cobra is, is not OK because folks may not find a job because other folks are also, um, you know, in a similar tough spot from a business standpoint. So, yeah, just across the board, just push, push, push. And that's kind of um, how we operate in a lot of ways to make sure 
I talked about the employee experience when I joined and not sacrificing that. This trickles all the way through. We won't take the easy way out, um, even if even if it even if, if we have to work very hard for it. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now broadened into a tire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and I think I will. Uh, so if you're listening and you haven't read that letter from Brian, I'll include that in the show notes um, of the episode so you can check that out. I mean, to me, I think when I, when I first read that, the thing that really struck me was... Um, the full accountability for the situation, mm-hmm. uh, right? I think he said, like, don't, you know, yeah. I, I made this decision. Here's how I made the decision. Here's the mm-hmm. way that we looked at kind of executing the decision in terms of, like, who would be impacted. Um, and then even having in there, you know, like, you, you might, you might uh, uh, you know, understand you're, you're sad and you're frustrated and, and this is a hard moment. Um, you, you might be inclined mm-hmm. to, like, be mad at your boss don't be mad at your boss. Be mad at me. I, I made these decisions. And so just like the level of, mm-hmm. of just uh, extreme ownership uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that he displayed, I think to me, like if, if we see more CEOs and more organizations emulating that when they have to make these hard business decisions, then that's a, you know, that's a pretty strong, you know, gift to the industry is in terms of, uh, you know, role modeling uh, and, and kind of following that direction. Um, let's get into like, you know, you, your role, as you mentioned, it's quite varied. You've got a, a very broad scope. You have a very broad scope in static times. I don't know that mm-hmm. we're going to see static times anymore. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know that that exists anymore. So we're, we're in this weird place right now where we're, you know, designing for a world in a lot of ways doesn't exist. Meaning that we're, we're building things that haven't been built before. We're shifting things that haven't been shifted in this way before, um, we're throwing away what had long been playbooks around doing X, Y, and Z, and now creating personalized versions of those and flexible versions of those, which you know gets me excited as an HR, you know, as a student of HR and as somebody who is really kind of intrigued on pushing the boundaries and uh, you know creating better spaces for employees. But I'm not sitting in your seat, so it's cool for me to be able to get excited because I'm not what actually building all this stuff. Like you are. How do you approach? That like how do you how do you think about um, designing your you know future work next work whatever you want to call it but as you're kind of mapping out what work looks like you know today and tomorrow for Airbnb how do you even go about that how do you how do you prioritize how do you get input from employees to guide your design like take us take us uh, give us a window into into how you. Uh, you know, I, would, I wouldn't say how you make that all work because it's, uh, it's something in progress. It's not made yet. It's being made. But uh, how, do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is it's a continuous work in progress and evolution, right? I think there's no silver bullet. We're all figuring this out. 
I think in a lot of ways, you kind of go back to the basics. And what I mean by that is check in with your employees, listen to them, ask them what, what's, you know, but take a pulse on what they're doing, because sometimes we can build programs for our employees, but not necessarily with them. And we've, you know, in general, they, all of us have done a great job in across the industry over the last years, trying to be more embedded and learning more. But it's it's critical right now. You cannot build something that if you employees cannot connect with, it won't go far. So I would say at that, um, I, I think the most exciting part is, to your point, that we are in a position collectively as all people professionals to really build the future of work and pay where it will go. And that itself, to me, is not something that comes by very often, um, especially in our kind of industry. Um, I feel like, you know, if there was a silver lining to 2020, in terms of how it played out, we got a jump start to break a lot of the norms and, and kind of go beyond that. So I think, uh, you know, I think flexibility is going to be key. But when I talk about flexibility, it's a little bit of multidimensional flexibility. One is just the location, right? So where people can work from home or from another location. You know, I, I remember working with leaders um, up until the pandemic too, and through my whole career where some leaders were not comfortable with work from home while others were were right um guess what the pandemic kind of blew past that hurdle pretty quick and now everyone knows we can work from home now it's more a preference of how you do it so i think location is key i think the other uh, the other piece is the ways of working right so we have a lot of synchronous uh, meetings as well as some asynchronous work but how do they all fit together into the collaborative ways of working so we have we have a way we're looking at um, how do we want to actually consciously and thoughtfully think about asynchronous work and synchronous work what are the norms around that um, and work through that um, the third one is just flexibility in what you work on um, you know i've been one throughout my career that have done you know, talk about multiple hats, you know, literally doing two jobs because I've got the opportunity to work with another team, for example. Um, so I think just flexibility in what you work, I think we're sharing jobs um, doing and we do this a lot internally at a lot of companies informally, but I think we're going to have to meet employees where they need. Um, in terms of keeping them engaged. So if Q wants to learn a little bit of comp, comp and Ben, like 25, one day a week, 25%, you know, can I work with the comp team to get that exposure? And I have team members on my team that do that constantly. They're either shadowing a, a HR business partner one day a week, or they're shadowing another team or someone shadowing ops. So I think role sharing is, is just going to be something that will help with flexibility, engagement. It's always been there. And, and to that point, I've been so passionate about this because I, that's how I've navigated through my career. Um, I'm actually joining a company called Rollshare.com um, formally next week, or at the time by the time we launched this. And you know, they are really trying to do the same thing. Like, how can we provide a platform to help um, uh, uh, employees uh, and employers um, match jobs for engagement on one end and diversification on the other, and flexibility for everyone. So I think there's a lot that's unknown, um, but we have we have the play, we have a playbook that we can build um, collectively. Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, I've seen Rollshare's uh, platform, and it's definitely very interesting. So um, yeah, I think that that flexibility and choice, particularly from a retention standpoint, re redeploying and developing talent and retaining talent, ret retention that's going to be like you know forget war for talent, blah blah blah, like. Retention is where it's at. That's going to be the biggest uh, challenge I think companies have right up there with like how they're thinking about hybrid or remote or co-located. Um, I want to go a little deeper in one piece that you mentioned because it's an area of this kind of mapping a future of work that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is this, um, you know, synchronous versus asynchronous work. And I think 
by and large, most organizations are so heavily oriented around synchronous work, right? Meeting cultures, meetings that should have been emails, uh, you know, so many like meetings, meetings live, putting 30 minutes in your calendar tends to be a default, right? Like that's our first inclination. Like, oh, I have this question. I'm going to schedule an hour with this person, like to ask, like, no, it's a question. Like just, you know, so uh, how do you... How do you think about that? Like, I, I guess prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, how was Airbnb to be in terms of like sync versus async? And as you think about mapping out, like, you know, the, you have you have Loom, you have all of these interesting tools out there that allow you to do, you know, brief videos uh, rather than meetings where you can just kind of exchange a few of those, hit your resolution without taking any time from people's calendars. But like, how do you, how do, as you're factoring through your future work plans, like, how do you think about building that sync versus async kind of muscle within Airbnb? Yeah, so I think it's it's one of those like Zoom fatigue is real, right? Like through the pandemic, we just took synchronous work that was in the office and meetings and just created a back-to-back Zoom meetings. And then we just kind of fatigued all around. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things we're going to have to figure out and we are trying to do this and, and you know, on our, at our own organization is do we allocate certain times or times in the day for synchronous work where people can schedule meetings and work through that? And then do you have asynchronous work separately? We haven't yet got to that broad scale because one of the things we're trying to work on is time zones. Like yeah. my team is across the globe. So if I have a synchronous time, so we have to work through that. But I think on a on a kind of mindset level, I think you have to, and I've started doing this now, is blocking 30 minutes in the day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon to say working time. I don't always get that working time, but that is my asynchronous time. If I see meetings where it's just one or two people and it, the topic looks like we can we can cover it over email, I ask for what we're trying to, you know, I think just going back to the basics, do we have a meeting agenda? Do we need something to talk about? Or can that be done asynchronously in a Google Doc or an email? Um, so I think really pushing those because I think people are getting, myself included, like fatigued from being on a on a screen all the time and it took a whole different stance. So I think you, uh, I think this comes again from leadership. So each leader also needs to, drive it because you know i could tell my team do this but then if i don't follow it and set up 20 meetings or my team member doesn't it does not necessarily work through um so i think there's a lot of work to be done but i look at it as i think it's it's it kind of ties into the the personal side of flexibility like you can provide flexibility but each individual needs to also cater to what it means for them yeah um to me it may mean one thing to someone else it may mean you know and then it's the type of role right some roles like my role cannot be asynchronous majority of the time. Whereas a couple of my team members who are, you know, churning through transactional work could be a lot more asynchronous. Yeah. So you kind of got to look at the nature of the job, but I think there's a lot to do there. We haven't figured out a silver bullet, uh, but we're working through that. And I think um, there will be iterations to come. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I think you're right. I think there are no, there are no silver bullets, uh, you know, anywhere, but I think that the, you know, to me, I'm just, I'm so intrigued by the, the potential to unlock so much capability if we can really start to, and again, you know, we'll never get it fully right, but, but get it, you know, get it, get it optimized a bit more. And uh, for anybody, you know, watching or viewing, uh, do what Q does at a minimum, you know, block some chunks of time in your calendar every week and defend those time. You know, it, it's easy. It, it's one thing to do it. It's another thing to do it and hold it, right? Because you know, if you if you have it in there, and someone's like, "Hey, let's let's meet at this time," you're like, ah, "Okay, I guess I would like no, no, that block that. Like, no means no. If you're blocking that time in your calendar, you you need to actually yeah. hold fast 
uh, to that. So, um, yeah, something I just uh, I only started doing recently when I came back to work after my leave is I've actually started making those meetings public and saying, do not schedule. Uh, um, so people know like why I'm doing it. And sometimes to your point, another meeting may come over it. I just make sure I can slide it to get that time in that day sometime. Yeah. If it's not, you know, if it's an important meeting that I cannot skip. So I've started trying that, making it public. Because sometimes someone like me, I have so many meetings, people just think it's okay to overbook because that's how my calendar is. So by making it public, I'm trying to see if that will drive some consciousness on both sides as well. But we'll see if that works. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, uh, let's, let's do a part two on that. I'm curious. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how that actually works out. So, you know, Q, I want to uh, wrap, wrap every episode with a lightning round just to help listeners get to know you a little bit better. So uh, are you ready? Are you ready to jump right in? Yeah, let's uh, do it. All right. So music. I'm a, I'm a big music nerd. Uh, so this for me is a somewhat selfish way to discover new artists. But uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm creeping your Spotify playlist. Who, who do I learn are your top three artists? I'd say my, my top three right now is Pink Floyd. I have a six-week-old son, and I put that as his nighttime routine. So we listen to Pink Floyd every evening at night. Um, the other two that I've been constantly listening to, one is J. Cole, his new album, The Off Season, I, I really enjoy, and I've been kind of on repeat with that. And then the third artist that's been a continuous uh, kind of like Pink Floyd for me is uh, stuck with me throughout is Guru. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of a cross between jazz and hip-hop and uh, kind of a, ja a jazz mix, but... Um, Guru is my all-time, uh, always on my playlist. So those right. would be my three. I'm going to have to check Guru out. He, uh, that was, that uh, artist yeah. was not on my radar. So, uh, yeah. What is your least favorite HR buzzword? My least favorite HR buzzword is strategic. Mm. Primarily because it's been overplayed for a decade now without really, you know, people want to be strategic, strategic some people I wouldn't generally, you know, I'm, you know they want to be strategic without really digging into what, how to be strategic or what you need to do to be strategic. So to me, that's been a personal uh, um, least favorite word. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, what is your favorite HR function? And you can't say people operations. Oh. That's, a, that's, an, that's an umbrella term. I'm taking that off the table. So <laughs> that off the table, what's your favorite HR function? Oh man, you had me because I thought I had it easy there. But I would say within um, within that umbrella, I would say people analytics. I think just understanding data in, to drive insights, um, I would say people analytics because there's so much you can uh, derive from that um, to continuously improve and learn. Uh, all right, if you were not working in HR, what would you be doing? I would probably be producing music. Um, that's something I've, I've loved to do. I've tried to do. I'm not really good at, which is probably why I'm not in it, but I'd still play around with it. So music production would be something I would love to have done. Cool. Any genre in particular? Um, a lot of lo-fi and house, um, and kind of lounge, uh, chill music. And, okay. Yeah. Those, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a skill I wish I had. I have a deep appreciate One of my old roommates in college was a DJ, a uh, house DJ is the one that kind of got me into EDM. Oh, nice. Same, yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I've, 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 I wouldn't even say I've dabbled. Like I've like, you know, whatever is like beneath dabbling. I've done, yeah, I've done yeah, that. I realized yeah. I don't have at all the skill of the patient. So yeah. now I just have check out this app called, uh, check out this app called Launchpad. Launchpad. Yeah. Pretty cool on the iPad where it downloads all the beats and you can kind of, it syncs it a little bit for you. So it's kind of a little bit of cheating, but you can still <laughs> marry a lot of the beats up. It, I, I think it's fun for oh. folks like myself who, aren't uh aren't you know very intricate into that all right well i'll play with that maybe i'll elevate my skills to dabbling 
So <laughs> <laughs> maybe a new a new intro. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, actually, funny enough, I had uh, up until this podcast, all of my podcast uh, intro music was from my DJ friend. He actually lives in uh, in oh, Asia really? now. He's, he goes under DJ Ebar. But yeah. Uh, okay. Last oh, question Ebar, for you, Q. Uh, who yeah. is one HR leader who you admire and why? I'm going to pick two um, just because I have two um, that I've continuously uh, been in touch with. One is his name is Colin McLean. He's a seasoned CHRO in the Midwest in Chicago. I spent 16 years there before I moved to the Valley. Um, and he's just one who gave me my first HR opportunity and taught me. I, I, I worked under him for over four years in every facet of HR. So it was like my my training ground, if you will. Um, the other one, you may you may know him, um, but his name is Andrew Bartlow. Um, he's in the Bay Area. I've known him since before I even moved to the Silicon Valley and with Airbnb. And he's just an amazing um, individual, all around um, great mentor and coach for myself, like Colin. Um, I think Andrew has a book. Uh, I think it's 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 coming out soon. I remember um, talking to him about it last year, but he's just a great um uh, those are my two mentors. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know Colin, but I do know Andrew uh, and I will uh, echo your sentiments. He's uh, he's tremendous. One of the sharpest people in the space uh, who I know. He actually also has an accelerator platform, also writing a book. Oh, that's right. Uh, so, that's yeah, right. If, uh, if you're listening and he's not on your radar, you should definitely check him out. Follow his stuff. Um, he, he's a constant source of great content. So. Um, Q, that's it, man. I appreciate you. Uh, you, you survived yeah, the likewise. inaugural video episode <laughs> of Redefining HR. So thanks so much for, uh, for being game to, uh, try something new. Yeah. Likewise. No, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've been listening to this for, for a long time and I'm excited to actually finally be part of the episode. So thanks for having me as well. So that's another season of Redefining HR. It's hard to believe that five seasons of the podcast are in the books. And this has been an incredible season. Uh, HR leaders from Patagonia, Peloton, and many companies in between. I really uh, feel we've set the bar pretty high here. And uh, as this is the final episode of the season, I'll be going on hiatus with the podcast until mid-July when we're back for season six. I'm pretty confident we're going to be delivering some exceptional stories and conversations in season six, and now also in both video and audio. So if you want to watch the conversations, you can do that. If you want to continue listening to the conversations, you can do that too. Flexibility, right? Future of work is all about optionality and flexibility, and this podcast is no different. So are you going to miss me? I'm going to miss all of you, and I'm going to miss you so much that I want to actually do you a solid before we wrap up this season. Uh, if this podcast is not on your radar, it definitely should be. All Hands is an incredible podcast uh, produced by my friends at Lattice and hosted by my friend Caitlin Holloway that gets into a range of conversations around modern work practices, empathetic leadership, and just some incredible stories from incredible leaders. And so I want to close out this episode and this season with a preview of their upcoming season. And after you listen to that, be sure to go to their site, give them a subscribe, and uh, listen to some incredible stories and conversations that Caitlin and her guests each week will bring to you. And uh, in the meantime, I will be back for season six of Redefining HR in mid-July, and I want you all to take good care of yourselves, take good care of each other, and check out this incredible preview for the upcoming season of All Hands. What we need in these times is a new style of leadership that's more focused on empathy. Empathizing and understanding the stress that people are dealing with and how that 
plays into their overall effectiveness at work is a new sort of nuanced skill that I think everybody is having to deal with. And that's exactly why we created this podcast, All Hands Brought to You by Lattice. At Lattice, we know that a successful company starts with its employees. We're so excited to be back for our second season. And this time, we're not just talking to CEOs and founders. We're talking to heads of diversity and inclusion, chief people officers, and chief HR officers about their people strategies and how these strategies make their companies more successful. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. For the last decade, I've been a people and culture executive at some of the internet's most beloved startups. But my fascination with building true people-first cultures started many years ago. This season, we are so excited to talk with leaders from companies like Warby Parker, Spotify, Eventbrite, Vimeo, HubSpot, Peloton, and so many more. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can visit lattice.com slash all dash hands dash podcast to catch up on season one.